How's it, everyone? Welcome to Let's Talk Digital with me, Audrey Naidu. On this podcast, you will find uniquely South African digital content brought to you from a local perspective across the industry. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. Hello, and a warm welcome back to this week's remote edition of Let's Talk Digital. I hope that you are all keeping safe during this lockdown. Thank you for tuning in and joining me today. My guest is no stranger. I've worked with him in the last three to four years, and it's somebody that I have an immense amount of respect for. He is the managing director of Incubator, and his responsibility spans across Middle East, Africa. He would consider himself a digital first somebody, very passionate about digital transformation, all things digital. So I think you are going to enjoy today's conversation, especially considering the topic that I have planned for today. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Rowan McIntosh, MD of Incubator. Welcome to the show, Rowan. Thanks, Audrey. Uh, Great to be here. Robin, I know recently that you have a major life-changing event. Don't you want to share that with our listeners today? <laughs> yeah, so I, I've, uh, my wife and I have taken the, the foray into parenthood, and we have a one week and one day old in the household at the moment. So um, I think some people are struggling with uh, three and four and five-year-olds at home uh, in this lockdown, and we're we're adjusting to that as parents as well. So interesting times, but certainly a great story to tell him it is 21st. Well, you'll have no reason to be bored during lockdown, right? <laughs> no, keeping very busy and uh, operating on, on slightly reduced sleep. So it's, uh, it's interesting. Yeah, so, so Rowan, I, I know you and I had a very interesting chat yesterday and I was quite intrigued by what you had to tell me. Before we go into the conversation of today's topic, can you maybe just give us a little bit of context of who is Incubator and what exactly do you guys do? Sure, not a problem. Um, we sometimes struggle with that kind of elevator pitch, but um, if I can try to sum it up, we're, we're really a digital marketing consultancy and services business. Um, and, and the reason it's a bit of a challenge is we've grown by acquisition. So there are three holding companies within that and then three brands that operate within the incubator group. Um, and those are DQNA, NMPI, and Joystick. So the three are, are really coming at the world from different viewpoints. NMPI is a performance media play. So we, we run a lot of campaigns across paid search um, channels, across programmatic display, uh, into social as well. Uh, and then on the joystick side of things, it's a creative uh, company, but it's not a traditional agency. So it's not um, conceptual kind of ideation of, of, of creative concepts. It's more around taking the concepts that exist within clients and, and digitizing them in a way. In a layman's term, it's kind of repurposing the, the TV ad into a YouTube format. And, and really what we're trying to do is get more dynamic in those instances um, where we're letting the banners uh, and, and creative executions be executed based off data cues. Um, so audience segments and those kind of things. So it's kind of data-driven creative and, and that's the creative side of the business. But then I know that specifically you wanted to talk about DQ&A, and there we are a registered reseller of Google technology. We're one of 12 global partners. Um, So we're active in in, the United States, in the UK, 
a lot through Europe, in through uh, Africa, into Australia, into uh, LATAM, and, and slowly now into South America as well. So the, the technology side of the business, uh, and that's probably the hat that I'm going to be wearing for most of this conversation, is, is really around looking at digital transformation and how people are adopting technology within organizations. So we run programs that are around onboarding new technology, but then also uh, how to unpack the value of that technology. So how do you build kind of upskilling and, and training and adoption programs that, that really enable you to, to leverage that technology to the best of its ability. So I think there's that old adage, you know, you don't get fired for buying Microsoft. It's very similar with Google. Everyone likes the Google products. But, but how do you justify the value that you're putting into that from an investment point of view? That's really where we work with clients is one, getting it into the organization and understanding different various moving parts within that architecture, that technology architecture, um, but then also working out how do we get people to use the technology. Uh, so it's, it's quite a broad remit, but, uh, but I know that I'm going to keep my, my focus, my answers primarily focused from a DQ&A technology side of things. Let's talk about the topic now that we kind of started preempting yesterday, which is around what is the state of digital transformation in this year in 2020 in South Africa, considering um, the lockdown, the, the pause on a lot of media from brand perspective. Um, and I know that you can shed some light based on your experience, but as well as projects that you're busy with big brands, do you want to give us some insight into what's going on in the industry? Sure. And, and I mean, I think COVID has come along and, and disrupted a lot of everyone's plans. I think we're, we're all adjusting on a personal level to kind of these digital remote work from home things. And I, I was a little bit, um, when, I, when I was looking at your podcast, I was a little bit upset that I didn't get to come into the studio because um, that, that looks like it's quite fun. So we, we're kind of conducting this over a Zoom call, which um, is interesting. Uh, and it's fantastic that we have technology that enables us to do this, but it's also a, a change in the way we're working. Um, and I think a lot of our clients are grappling with that change as well. So what kind of impact has that had to, to projects that we have on the go? Um, and it's really mixed across the, the different verticals of clients that we work with. So to give you some practical examples on the kind of e-commerce side of things, we work with Loot, um, and they um, had to suspend all their operations um, because they weren't considered an essential service. Uh, and very interesting that they've now actually started stocking uh, certain food SKUs um, and, and certain medical SKUs to kind of fit into that essential services definition just so that they can resume operations. And I know Take A Lot are in a, a similar kind of uh, position. So you've kind of got pure, um, I guess, e-commerce players from a, a technology and a kind of retail goods perspective now coming into the, the food and, and retail market. It's quite an interesting space and, and clients are, are being very adaptive in terms of how they're looking at things. They're, they're being very creative in, in the ways that they're approaching this. Um, but we also have uh, other clients that have had to shut down operations uh, from a travel perspective, uh, obviously with the lockdown. Um, so we work with Europe Car and, and Tempest and the, the likes, and we've got some international um, airline clients as well. Uh, and they've really been forced to to halt all media expansion or, or media operations. Um, the nice thing about that is where 
things have stopped uh, on an outgoing basis, um, the work hasn't stopped. So we're, we're now picking up projects that were potentially on the back burner and they're coming more to the fore in terms of the priority listing. So it's giving clients a bit of a chance to clean house in a way um, and to take a step back and evaluate some of the things that we just tend to lose when we get stuck into the day-to-day -day operations. Um, so, so some clients are, are operating on that. Um, another client that we work with is ShopRite, uh, and they are going hell for leather um, on their new e-commerce play, which is uh, Checkers 6060. Um, and that's a very interesting play in that they were, the whole concept of that is 60 seconds to order, at 60 minutes to deliver. Uh, and they were really holding true to that promise. Within 60 minutes, you would have groceries delivered to your door. Uh, and I think what's happened now with the lockdown is, is just on a scale level, their, their operations weren't ready for that. So they've had to send a lot of communications out. They've had to change the UI within the app um, to, to have different messaging that actually it's not going to be an hour um, and, and that it would be same day. Um, and they've also had a lot of stock issues. So, you know, in those instances, they're, they're flying by the seat of their pants really, but it's a, it's a really good opportunity and the adoption of the technology is much higher than they, they would have imagined before. So they kind of did a soft launch towards the end of last year. And, and I think now they've got uh, hundreds of thousands of subscribers on the platform um, w without too much media behind it. So, so there are some success stories out of that. Uh, and, and obviously being in the retail space as well, their, their brick and mortar stores have, have kind of um, been restricted in terms of the working hours, but people are still going there. So even though the footfall is potentially a little bit lower and, and people aren't going as frequently, they're still you know, moving a lot of the essential item stock and, and a lot of the impact has been on their back-end fulfillment and their supply chain. With all the hoarding, hoard buying that took place, I think it caused a bit of chaos and they've been focusing a lot on that. So I think bringing it back to your question of how is it impacted on digital transformation projects, it really depends on the vertical. Some clients are seeing it as, a, as an opportunity um, to, to revisit strategies that they put in place but just didn't get to. Um, so in some instances, it's actually changing or speeding up the adoption of technology within the organization. Um, so I saw an interesting uh, kind of post on Twitter where it said, who has, who has driven the most change for digital transformation within your organization? And the three options were, one, is it your CEO? Uh, two, is it your CTO? Or three, is it COVID-19? Um, <laughs> and then there's a big circle around COVID-19. So yeah. I think it is having an impact that it, it's, it's pushing the boundaries and it's making people consider this new digital realm, you know, as as we as consumers are forced into our houses and into different ways in engaging, it changes the, the way that, that companies need to respond to that. Um, and yes, there's a sensitivity around it from a, a brand perspective. You don't want to be seen profiteering from a, a bad situation. So there's a lot of uh, discussion around brand safety. And yes, there's an opportunity, and, and particularly in the financial services space, if you look at kind of funeral plans or um, personal loans and those kind of things, uh, it's, it's hard to say, but those topics are now more, uh, more relevant and people are looking at those things where they haven't before. So there's an opportunity for those financial players, but they also don't want to come out, make a big hurrah and shout about it because, you know, there is sensitivity around uh, a crisis and, and potentially businesses trying to profiteer from that. So although the services are relevant and there's an opportunity to grow that, um, 
brands are just being very sensitive in terms of how they approach that. And I think that's the right, the right call, to be honest. So, yeah, from what I'm hearing you saying, I think it's time for brands to reinvent themselves. And like you said, uh, how fast can they adapt to the new normal? Um, and the question I have is, what happens to those brands that have now halted all their digital uh, transformation progress, um, thinking that they can pick this up when, when everything goes back to normal? What are your thoughts around those brands? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a fear response in a way, uh, and we we tend to find two different types of clients. One is either looking at reducing costs, and and there's kind of freezes on everything as they go into their shelves and try to ride out the storm. Um, I, I think the the challenge would be, I mean, again, I don't know if this is uh, we all subject to a lot of speculation on on the social channels, but there's a lot of chatter around the, this. Um, lockdown being extended um, so if you've kind of made the decision to hunker down for three weeks uh, and then potentially that's extended by another two months what does that do um, and I think companies that have come to us with a more positive outlook and a more opportunistic view are, have already started moving so they haven't necessarily frozen all investment they've just been very strategic in how they've decided to drive those forward so for example, projects where they might have been looking at their digital fulfillment um, platform and reworking it, and it's kind of like, well, we only have about you know five percent of our overall volume going through that channel. It's probably not a a, a high a high uh, priority item. Now, obviously, that's shifted, and and they're kind of looking at those things and going, okay, fantastic. I'm not going to be able to you know get back 95% of my revenue through a brand new channel. But what if I grew that channel by 200% or for low base, it still goes some way to protecting that. And, and, and I think companies that are making those opportunity or positive movements are going to be much better placed when we come out of this. Uh, I also don't think on a, uh, on a personal level that these are temporary changes. Um, I look at our organization ourselves um, just in terms of how we are utilizing tools like Slack uh, and Google Hangouts um, and all these types of collaborative tools, and, and we're using them in a lot better ways, I think. Um, so I, I foresee almost that people will be working from home a bit more uh, when we come out of this, uh, and and people will be using online retail delivery mechanisms a lot more. I, I know some people that have never had groceries delivered to their door before, and they're absolutely blown away by the experience. Um, myself, I've been looking at other other products that I kind of knew about but have never used. Things like Zulzi, um, which is another uh, food delivery app. There's Pick and Pay came to the party with their Click and Collect, where you kind of order online and then just go to the store and it's waiting for you. So it minimizes your time in the, in the queues and the checkouts and all those kind of things. Um, and I think those services people will continue to use even post lockdown because it, it's more about convenience. Um, so I think the, the necessity is the mother of invention in this case, and, and there are probably services that are going to be around a lot longer than just the lockdown. Um, and I think companies that are embracing that change and that opportunity are going to be better positioned coming out of it. So, yeah, I think the big insight is that people think this is temporary. And to your point, this is, this is going to actually be... Um, we, we've been speaking about it for a long time. People were out of fear or caution 
um, didn't want to take up these type of digital offerings like a convenient service like home delivery for example but now because they've actually experienced it and got to experience it it's going to change their behavior um so my my other question is you know like um are people going to actually now frequent uh physical stores um as much as they're going to be um maybe operating more on digital i, I can see that changing as well yeah, I can see a shift. I, I mean, I always have to be uh, cognizant of the fact that I'm in the digital industry. So I, by nature, I'm, I'm fairly biased towards that. So as I see things happening probably a little bit quicker than they do. Uh, but I think if you, if you objectively look at things, our socioeconomic state uh, of the country, um, as well as, as some of the connectivity and, and access issues, I think, you know, brick and mortar, you've seen it, it hasn't gone away. Uh, and I think it's still got a, a large place to play. And I think as a South African society, we're, we're definitely geared towards that. So, so do I think that it's going to be a revolutionary change where all of a sudden shopping centers are going to close down and there's going to be widespread uh, closing down of brick and mortar stores? Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm certainly not advocating that. But I, I do think that, you know, there'll be a definite growth in terms of, of the digital adoption from customers points of view and in these the digital platforms are going to be used a lot more so what kind of you know growth are we expecting out of that uh, i don't know it's it's probably going to be a 10 percent uplift i would imagine um, but even that on a real term has has a big impact on a company's bottom line um, and and i think what we're also seeing from a lot of these uh, analysis of kind of search behavior within google of what's happened during the lockdown um, it's kind of throwing the algorithms into, into disarray uh, in terms of most people uh, do an online to offline conversion ratio. So they're measuring or optimizing their media spend on uh, actual footfalls into brick and mortar stores. But with those footfalls into the store falling off, it's created a bit of chaos there. So, so they're trying to reimagine the, the con consumer conversion funnel. So we've always typically thought of it on a very linear thing. There's kind of awareness, then there's uh, evaluation, then there's a purchase. Um, and, and what we're finding is that if you look at the trends of how that's all happening now, potentially a funnel isn't the way to look at a customer journey anymore. Um, and I think those are some of the more forward-thinking discussions that people are having, which could have a longer-lasting impact in terms of how digital media is run uh, post-lockdown, so to speak. But I don't think it's going to necessarily take things away or, or be completely different when we come out the other side. There will be a, a bounce back to normality in a way, um, but, I, but I think it will be different. Mm, definitely. So your company does digital strategies, digital transformation projects, and, and you offer that consulting services to clients. Talk to me about um, what are, you know, are brands actually utilizing services such as, as what you have to offer? Should they be doing so at this time? Because I don't think brands by themselves can figure out what needs to come next. And maybe you can argue that point with me. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I, I don't think we're going to have an argument based on, on some of our previous discussions. I, I think the challenge is really the speed at which these projects go is definitely tied to the executive buy-in. Um, so we, we spoke about it earlier in terms of different um, management responses. Um, some, some companies will 
on an executive level be very risk averse. Uh, and the first thought in a, in a crisis like this is to cut costs and is to kind of withdraw and weather the storm. Um, others that are slightly more entrepreneurial, or digital first, tend to, to chase opportunity. Um, so in the face of adversity, they, they move forward and they, they adapt. And I think the, the, the reality is that the sort of older companies in, in the country are, are rooted in a slightly more traditional way of operating. And just by the nature of the structures that they have within the organization, aren't as adaptive and can't, even if there's a will, there's not uh, an ability to move quickly. And in some instances, there's not even the will. So what is the big success for us in terms of getting these, these uh, services in with clients and having success? It, it's a lot about the executive buy-in for a start. But then there's also a realization that there's not, often people consider digital transformation as kind of the acquisition of technology or or building a platform or putting a platform together. So you kind of look at the technology as a silver bullet and you buy the tech and then you go, okay, all my problems are now solved because I invested X million rand into a, uh, a new digital marketing platform. The reality is though that the, the technology is only as good as the people who are operating it as well as the data that's fed into it. Um, the more the technology advances, the more the, the importance of data becomes uh, valid. And, and with all the restrictions that are happening on privacy and security, um, the GDPR out of the UK, there was a, a California personal rights data protection um, legislation that was passed recently. We've got Poppy locally. All of these are, are changing the way companies uh, look at data. And that's a good thing because if you can get a handle on your first party data, you can fundamentally change the way you use the technology and the, the value that you extract from it. And, and with that goes the, the change in the ways of working. And I think that's a big piece is the organizational element of getting people to work differently. I think as humans, we're all resistant to change, um, but in a digital world, you have to be very adaptive. It, the technology is changing at almost an exponential rate that I'll give you an example. We, we used to have campaign managers um, who would load, um, you know, banner ads into the platform, uh, set up a line item, create a start and an end date, uh, and assign a CPM to it, and then let it run. And they would probably check in every two weeks to see how that campaign was going, or they would report on it at the end of the month. That was kind of a year ago. Now, those people are no longer called campaign managers, they're called traders. And they're working on optimizing algorithms on a daily basis. So they're monitoring spend. They're looking at um, conversion rates. They're optimizing on, on a daily basis. And it's, it's far more like a trader. So you're actually looking at the market. You're seeing how it's responding. And you're kind of trusting the technology to do the, the bidding based on an algorithm. And you're just double checking it. Um, and, and that's changed within our own organization, within our own role in the space of 12 months. So. For, to have an organization, and, and again, I imagine uh, the kind of financial institutions and the guys who've been around for a long, long time don't have the flexibility within the, the organizational structures. So a lot of the work that we do is the transformation is actually operational. Um, and that's where we, we kind of bleed across into the big consulting firms like Accenture and Deloitte that will do end-to-end -end business optimization and, and uh, organizational planning. 
we're not in that space. We, we focus very much in the digital piece. So as, as long as it's relating to digital marketing, then we'll look at it. But it's kind of, we, we'll only design the operating system for the marketing team. Um, whereas the, the bigger consultancies will come in and they'll do end-to-end across your fulfillment, across your warehousing, across all those kind of things. So it's important to kind of differentiate when we talk digital transformation. Um, it's really around digital marketing technology and adopting that into the, the marketing department. Um, but often it does bleed over into the IT department in terms of what they're doing on the data warehousing side, what they're doing on the owned platform side, so your websites and your apps, how are those integrated so that you can make sure you're having a consistent messaging across the board, uh, and, and obviously how does your CRM fit into this. Um, so those are the where we have a, I guess, a center of excellence or a core project team that spans across multiple verticals within an organization, uh, and we have executive buy-in, that's really where those, those projects go well. Um, where we have a, I call them uh, digital, digital mavericks in an analog world, um, where you have kind of a, a, a digital marketing manager who is trying to change the organization from within, and they're, they're only allowed to operate within their own silo of a marketing department. Uh, that is is where these kind of projects start and end, um, and and you kind of have awkward questions around why did I invest so much money for this technology that the technology didn't work, when in actual fact it's the organisation and the adoption of the technology that didn't work. I think uh, Rowan, you opened up all can of worms by what you just said, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you and I over the years have had this discussion, especially. The, the bigger your organization, it's more difficult for you to actually get some of these projects off the ground because of the different stakeholders involved in that decision-making to make something work. But to your point on what you said is, is marketing is becoming a business. Hence, you've got normal campaign managers now becoming traders. They have to treat every piece of um, investment as if they own and show ROI for it. So there's a high level of transparency, accountability, um, more cooperation. I mean, it's, it's, it actually disrupts the model, your traditional model of the role of, for example, media agency, creative agency, your brands. Um, and then if you want to speak about MarTech, AdTech, so this whole ecosystem is actually in a, in a state of transitioning. And the problem is you are going to find, and we discussed this earlier, is that different verticals, different brands will be moving at different paces. So we can't actually put brands or this progression in one box because it doesn't happen like that, which is why I encourage brands to do a, a maturity framework. And, and I know at, your, at the recent IAB series, you spoke about this maturity framework, the digital maturity framework. Do you want to take us through that thinking and the approach of why brands should be considering doing almost like an audit of their maturity framework? Sure. Uh, look, I think the purpose of any kind of roadmap or maturity model is to give you a sense of where you are and where you need to go. So a lot of the challenges we face with, with clients is kind of, they come to us as experts and they say, okay, 
I know I want this technology, but I don't know why I want it. So you need to tell me what I need to do with it. Uh, and, and as you've alluded to, each organization needs to be different in their approach to the technology. So if you think about Google, they design a technology for 90% of the world or 90% of the use cases. So they don't design a technology that is for a financial services client or, or a uh, retail client. They design something that has functionality for everyone and everything. So when, when clients come to us and say, well, how should I be using the platform? Um, our, our unfortunate response is, well, it depends on your business. And, and we spend a lot of time understanding the ins and outs of a business. Uh, and that's where we start mapping people to a maturity model. Um, we've adopted, because we are, are linked to Google, we've adopted their, uh, their maturity model, which was developed in, um, in collaboration with Boston Consulting Group, so BCG. Uh, and really, it, it talks through four phases. One is nascent, then it's emerging, then it's connected, and then it's uh, multi-moment. And I think multi-moment is the dream of digital marketing that everyone has been sold and that everyone aspires to. So it's the holy grail of the right message at the right time to the right audience. And, and I think that's the, you know, where everyone wants to be, but the reality is to get there, there are a lot of foundational elements that need to come into play as well. So as you start adopting technology, you're in that kind of nascent phase, you're just grappling with the actual technology and how the UI works and, you know, getting people to log in every day. And it's a, it's a big process in terms of changing the ways of working and the operating model in some instances, in terms of how this all fits within the organization. Um, then you get to the kind of emerging space where you're now looking at, at functionality within the tool that you haven't started using. So you're, you're kind of maximizing the feature utilization within that platform. The next step is obviously moving to the connected phase, and that's where you start bringing in data from other sources into that core platform. So if I look at Google Marketing Platform, for example, you might start out with a Campaign Manager, which uh, allows you to do display ads and, and programmatic um, and a little bit of uh, search as well. But then you might add in DV360, which is, is there, um, it's Google's kind of... Um, it's old double-click bid manager. It's their ad exchange or their, their ad network um, that you can plug into. Um, you might take GA360, which is a premium Google Analytics product. Then you can start using audiences that you create out of your website analytics and plugging that into your programmatic media spend to start delivering better value out of those different line items. So now you're starting to connect the different modules within the platform. And then you can start bringing in things like CRM data, uh, any transactional data that you might have, conversion data out of stores or point of sale, and you can start feeding that into your media kind of channel. So now you're starting to connect different data sources. You're starting to connect different parts of the business. You're starting to look at the full value chain from, you know, awareness to uh, on-site on behavior as well as in-store behavior as well as post-fulfillment analysis. So what is your customer lifetime value? Once you've got someone to purchase, do they come back? Are they repeat purchases? Or are you just getting a high volume of first-time guys who they're not very happy with your service, so therefore they don't come back? So it's looking far more holistically at, at the whole mix and, and trying to get a view of how things are related. And, and I guess that's the, the goal, is to move people from one phase to another, but also to recognize that you're not going to get there overnight. 
Um, some of these projects are kind of three, four-year projects to get to that multi-moment phase. And, and I think even BCG, when they did a global analysis, they, they pegged it at only 2% of the world's brands are in that multi-moment space. Um, so, so there again, you're talking about the likes of Amazon and, and those types of things. Um, so that's a, that's a very high bar for a local South African entity to get to. But it doesn't mean that you shouldn't start and it doesn't mean that you shouldn't get going. Uh, and that's really the, the, the thinking behind the maturity model is to give you a view of where you are, where you want to go and, and to practically identify the steps that will get you there. So in essence, um, digital marketing transformation is a journey, not a destination. Absolutely. I, I, I hate the term future proof. So, so we, ha we have a lot of clients who say, listen, I want to do an implementation but we must do a, a business requirements analysis that gives us a future-proof solution. And, and my, my response to that is I can almost guarantee you that the solution we end up with in three years is not going to be anywhere near the solution we designed in year one. Um, and, and that's just the nature of the technology. It's the nature of how businesses respond to adoption of technology. And, and you really need to be far more it's not about the end goal, it's about the journey. So it, it is a process and it is a, a, a definite embarking on a journey as opposed to deciding on a destination up front. I think, you know what, each, each brand will have a bespoke model. Um, it needs to be structured, it needs to be phased, but like you rightly pointed out earlier, um, that we, you need to have the right resources behind it for it to be a success. So a lot of different considerations for brands, and I don't believe that brands can do this by themselves. They do need the assistance of experts that are continuously evolving because the only thing constant is change. So we need to keep up with this rapid changes happening in digital. And we used to think these changes are happening in, in, in months. Now it's happening in weeks and days. So, um, and, and there's no ways companies are able to keep up with this, with this change. Um, so we're in a constant state of disruption as well. Um, so your, in terms of your closing points, what recommendations or advice would you give to, to brands to consider um, when looking at digital marketing transformation? Such a broad question. I think I do want to come back to one of the points you were raising earlier about the, the changing kind of organizational structure and where a, a marketing department actually sits. And, and to, to call a spade a spade, I think traditionally marketing departments have been seen as a cost center with no direct ties to revenue. Um, it's just a, a means to an end, um, whereas you know, it's easy to report on the profitability or the return from a store because you can see the, the actual sales. And, and what's happening through this digital transformation uh, phase is as clients are bringing their customers closer to the center of their organization, which, which they're having to do, because if you keep having a siloed organization where you're product-led, you have a very disjointed conversation with, with consumers or a very disjointed experience. Uh, and that's where people are being held to account now that consumers are far more savvy. They expect a seamless transition. So if I bring it back to the banking world, if I have a credit card and I have a home loan, I don't care that those are two different departments that sit in two different segments of the building and possibly hardly ever see each other. I consider myself a banking client. 
and you should know everything about me, no matter which one I engage. So if I phone the, the home loan call center, I should be able to ask about my credit card rating and the information should be available. So you bring consumer to the center of your business and marketing is following suit because marketing is the, the core, I guess, avenue to direct communication with your customers. So as you bring marketing to the core, it starts becoming less about being a cost center and more about being a revenue driver. And, and this is exactly what you were talking about earlier with a lot more emphasis on measurability, on return on investment. People are being held to account more. It's no longer kind of a soft area of the business where you can put your associates and your juniors and you can kind of hide resources. You really need smart, engaged people because that's where you're going to drive your business from. And, and absolutely to your point, are you going to have the right people in place? I think in the South African marketplace, we're a little bit constrained from skill sets because it is a, although it's a slightly older practice, I mean, I don't like to say digital marketing anymore. I think all of it's marketing, but it's important to differentiate in, in the current state. I think we don't have enough people who are the digital mavericks that we need in those positions. And therefore we have to leverage off each other. We have to bring in uh, different expertise in different areas. Um, and I also think that there's a point to be said around, we've discussed it before, around do you in-house or do you outsource? I think there's a mixed model to be had. I think anything that's core to your business and that needs a quick response and turnaround should absolutely be within uh, your organization. But there's an element of uh, wanting to have an outside view and have exposure to different verticals that allows you to, um, to adapt and, and to see opportunities in new things. So the value that we bring as an as a outside agency or consultancy is that we're exposed to multiple verticals. So we can see how the technology is being used by different areas and possibly see a connection that no one would ever make within a, a banking environment or in a retail environment on their own. Uh, and, and that's, I think, the value that, that we bring to the table. So, I mean, is there one piece of advice that I would give to, to someone sitting in a marketing department wanting to, to embark on a digital transformation journey? I, I would say that do your homework, make sure you understand what you want out of this project. Otherwise, you can get led down a garden path. And, and we don't, I, I group ourselves in that, we don't do it out of any ill intention. It's just the technology is so varied that we might think that this is how you should use it, but we don't understand your business. We don't understand the nuts and bolts and what makes your business successful. Um, and the more we can get closer to that, the more we can design a solution that meets that need. But, but if you come to us and say, listen, we just need this technology to work, we'll make it work, but it might not be core to your business. Um, so, so those are some of the challenges that you'll face. Uh, so be considered and then get executive buy-in. Make sure that you have... Um, a mandate and uh, I guess a project team that has different stakeholders in different areas of the business. Otherwise, you're going to be fighting uphill um, and you're going to run into budget constraints. You're going to run into prioritization uh, issues. You really need a collaborative center of excellence or project team that are going to drive it and, and executive buy-in to support it on a financial level because it is, is quite costly and it is quite a, a, a journey as we've discussed already. I was going to add, make sure that you get uh, funding for some of these projects because, <laughs> like, for example, I mean, if you have to, to get your own GMP license, 
you definitely need to consider uh, how you're going to fund it. So I think funding is important, but like you said, is if you do your homework up front, you're able to make much more informed decisions around which is the right tech stack, what type of capability do you need, um, what do you invest in, what do you actually disinvest in, because many brands are exposed to multiple software and techs um, and, and probably doing it for the sake of without fully understanding or underutilizing the capability of the tech. So a lot of consideration, it needs to be um, uh, informed decisions as, as company embark on this journey. But um, I think what you rightly said is, is you, you're providing practical advice for companies to consider um, if they haven't yet considered it what do they have to do? What are some of the steps that they need to do to make this happen? Yeah, and I think just going back to the funding side of things, like, yes, these are expensive platforms uh, and, and you need to understand that there is an investment level to it. Um, but what we do find quite often with, with clients is when we start going through the process of building out a business case for this, there are kind of unexpected wins. So if I think purely from a creative perspective, um, if we start moving more towards templates and we start driving uh, data-driven creative within the platform, Google marketing platform specifically, um, then you, there are cost benefits on the agency side when you're talking about content generation. Because instead of having to develop 50 or 60 different banners, you develop two or three templates um, and those are, are, are readily available. So not only are you saving time and effort from a turnaround perspective, but you're also saving costs on actual uh, content creation. Um, and again, I'm not trying to kind of bash the agencies or take anything away from them, um, but I think some agencies are stuck in slightly older operating models. They, they make a lot of their money traditionally from um, production of TV and radio ads. Um, and the digital space, you can't charge a million rand for a banner ad. So it, the, the money is really made out of doing multiple executions. So instead of doing one banner, I'll do 50 banners for you. Uh, and and I'll, I'll make relatively the same kind of money. And, and that's where agencies, I think, haven't really reworked their, uh, their commercial models to adapt to the way that they're doing things. So the only thing I wanted to highlight is, is you might find in new ways of working, their cost savings in other areas of the business as well. Um, and, and also just to go back to the agencies, I think there are some agencies that are doing good work. Uh, I'm talking kind of by and large, uh, some of the challenges that we run into when we, we try and work collaboratively with other agencies, um, we do find that some are, are, are a little bit stuck in old ways of working. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I mean, just on the cost perspective, on cost efficiencies, uh, when you start to look at creative automation, you need to also look at your traditional production and how you're going to offset that cost because it might be more cost effective to do it, for example, on, on GMP to create your templates rather than um, spend more money every time you want to produce a banner. Um, so it's, it's also being smart about how you become more agile and communicating to customers, having contextual ads instead of letting creative be um, the roadblock in terms of getting the right message to your customer. Yeah, I think, I think the move is more to be adaptive rather than reactive. So, you know, we, we tend to operate in all these kind of 
production processes where you've got a trafficking team, something comes in, you've got a two-day turnaround, then there's there's a revert, then there's two days for uh, you know touch-ups and QA, and then the, the campaign goes live. So you've kind of got a at your best case a five-day turnaround from when you are identifying opportunity to when you get the message out. Um, and, and in the digital context, you know, people are online, they're searching, they're there, they need that information right then. If you come back to them five days later, the ship sailed, you know. So it's, it's less about being reactive and more about being adaptive and proactive in terms of the messaging. So how quickly can you respond to a data queue that suggests that someone is in the market for a product that you're offering? Uh, and that's where technology really shines. And that's where the, the, the investment is worth all the, the, the pain and suffering on, a, on a, a, a personnel effort time, as well as the financial investment that, that would need to be signed off by your CFOs, et cetera. No, I mean, um, Rowan, you and I can talk for days at length <laughs> around this topic. You know that. Um, yeah, because uh, we've been down that road. We've, we've got some of that learnings and um, definitely understand what is the, the forward approach for organizations to consider. Thank you so much for your time, Rowan. I, I mean, this was such a productive conversation and um, I'm wishing you all the best in being a new dad. Hope you enjoy <laughs> the experience. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm looking forward to the long weekend. So heading into Easter, happy Easter to everyone who celebrates that. Happy Pesach for the, the Jewish amongst us. And, and yeah, if it's just a, a couple of days off, if you're not very religious, then enjoy the time. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. I mean, it's not like we got any place to go, but uh, no. <laughs> gone are the days where we look forward to weekends now because... Every day you'd, is... you'd be surprised. Well, I suppose you wouldn't because you know, but um, having a, a, a little one that kind of wakes up at four, but then sleeps from sort of seven till nine, it, it, being able to get out of bed at nine o'clock is a big win. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, definitely. At seven o'clock. <laughs> yes, email. I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt there. Thank you. <laughs> now it's your turn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I'm, I'm too, too naive to know. <laughs> You'll soon find out, Rowan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, uh, thank you see, again. Thank eh? you so much for the opportunity. And as you said, we, we could chat about this for days. So I do enjoy talking about it, and um, I, I'm glad to to have shared some of it with, with your uh, with your listeners. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks a lot. Thanks for tuning in today. A massive shout out to all my remote listeners. I really value and appreciate your support during this time. Don't forget to follow my Instagram handle, TalkDigitalZA. Send us your feedback. And who knows, you could be featuring on the next one.